Weekend mornings with Glenn Van Zutphen. Replay from Money FM 89.3. International News Review. Welcome to Weekend Mornings. Glenn Van Zutphen with you and Nicholas Fang joining us in the studio for our International News Review. Uh, Nicholas, of course, the managing director at Black Dot and the director of Security and Global Affairs at the Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Uh, Nick, good morning. Lots going on in the world today. Good Sunday morning. Well, we say that every week, so I think <laughs> we take that as part of the course, but that's great for, for people like us who keep a, an eye on the news. Yeah, let's start with uh, Prime Minister Lee uh, here in Singapore. He was at the United Nations this week and gave an encompassing talk. And one of the things he's ta- been talking about is this idea of kind of two-pronged. Uh, Singaporeans need to be ready for the the weather, the rough weather that may be ahead, but also a bigger story, a bigger narrative about people being more inclusive and accepting in their countries, whether it's Singapore or outside of Singapore. So how, do, how are you reading his kind of two-pronged approach? It pretty much covers the challenges that I think countries all around the world are facing today. Uh, obviously, you have the very practical, pragmatic, tangible challenges, whether it stems from uh, internal issues, dealing with uh, domestic challenges. I think he mentioned uh, the need to keep housing equitable, to focus on social inequality, to be mm. concerned about the transport situation, and of course, broader international or global issues like climate change. Yeah. And then we talk about uh, trade tensions, which affects a, a small and very open economy like Singapore. So I think uh, Prime Minister has highlighted uh, on a broad stroke all the major challenges that are being faced. What was interesting, which is what you mentioned, was this notion of how the solution is less about people coming to the government with problems and, and the government sort of dispensing the solutions in the form of policy. Uh, but he's talking a lot more about the need for Singaporeans to, to stand together, to be very wary of uh, anything that creates divisive forces within the society, mm. uh, and then to, to be able to work together for those issues. Now, it may sound really sort of airy-fairy and a little bit sort of philosophical when you talk about people standing together. But when you look at global forces, when you look at the issues of nationalism, when you see growing tensions between social classes and social groups around the world. Even you look at like a small multiracial, multicultural, multi-religious country like Singapore, if fault lines should start to appear, they'll open up very, very quickly yeah. and they can the impact will be very significant. So I think Prime Minister is, is definitely recognizing that and yeah. saying that that's going to be a key challenge too. Does that seem like a new, uh, a relatively new narrative in the way that he's describing it right now? You know, for so many decades, it's 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 always been a, a fairly heavy top-down structure from from the government. Having said that, of course, there's always been dialogue sessions and chances for MPs to meet the people, etc. But this latest kind of narrative of, of really uh, more of a groundswell, a ground-up uh, approach, does that strike you as being something new or newish and different in the way it's being presented? Um, I think there are two two levels to this to this idea. I mean, it's not necessarily something that just Prime Minister has been talking about, but uh, Deputy Prime Minister Heng Swee Keat uh, also mentioned a few months ago this notion of how uh, we have to work together, you know, to yeah. find solutions. It's not just the government providing uh, the answer. And I think in a practical sense, it's really tapping on, on Singapore's greatest resource, which is its people, yeah. uh, to try to find not just solutions, but maybe the, the growth ideas for the future and for the years ahead. But more importantly, I think it's also that uh, this notion of we are working together, standing together to deepen conversation and communications ensures that people, Singaporeans, get a good sense of A, what the challenges are and B, what the potential solutions are and how they could Mm. potentially play a part. Mm. I think this notion of 
you know, you just wait for me to tell you what's going on. That form of uh, of communication, you know, being more like you were saying, top down, I think that doesn't cut much ice, especially with with the younger generations today. Yeah, people want to understand what the challenges are. They want to feel that their voices are being heard. Yeah, not just a one way communication. Uh, and I think that if they have a stake in finding those solutions, uh, you have people that who are more committed uh, and more driven to working towards that cause uh, collectively as well. So in a sense, it's a little bit of um, philosophical uh, direction change, but I think it's based on a lot of practical requirements, uh, a very mm. pragmatic thing, which is what Singapore is known for over the years too. Yeah. You took part in an interesting uh, forum that, that happened, the, the China-Singapore Forum on the mainland, uh, and you were part of the Singapore delegation, uh, talking about um, how China and Singapore can work more closely together on different levels. It was a, largely an NGO-type uh, gathering. Tell us a little bit about that and what some of the outcomes or what you thought the outcomes were from, from that. Yeah, I think that was a, was a very good uh, example of some of the global challenges that Singapore faces. Obviously, mm-hmm. the U.S.-China trade conflict is uh, creating a lot of uh, uncertainty in the global economy. Yeah. The China-Singapore Forum, it was in its 14th edition this year. It was held mm-hmm. in Chongqing, mm-hmm. uh, where Singapore and China are collaborating on their third uh, large-scale G2G project. The first, of course, being in Suzhou, the mm-hmm. second in Tianjin. The third being the Chongqing Connectivity Initiative. Singapore is a big player in that. Um, and uh, so obviously, you know, keeping good positive relationships with uh, with a major power like China is very high on the agenda for Singapore's uh, foreign policy. And I think what was heartening, the, the forum is a track 1.5 dialogue between um, not just government, but not NGO entirely, sort of a hybrid in between uh, delegations. Uh, and, and a big big thing that stood out was uh, the very sort of positive and warm tones that were coming out from the China uh, delegation, of course reciprocated by the Singaporeans, looking for ways to work more closely together, to build trust, to mm-hmm. deepen understanding. Uh, and I think uh, you know, China-Singapore relations in the past two, three years have been a little bit bumpy. There have been some ups yeah. and downs. Uh, it seems to be very much on the upswing now, a lot of positivity. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why is that... Uh why, where is that change coming from? Do you reckon? Well, I think uh, you know the the U.S. China trade conflict, uh, of course, weighs heavily on the mind of the policymakers mm. in in China. Uh, I think their sincere desire for the Belt and Road Initiative to be a success, uh, you know, around the world. Uh, has also uh, reminded them of the need to maintain good relations, to maintain good communications, and to have this notion of trust, yeah. uh, which some people have highlighted as a bit of a challenge when it comes to the BRI. And to focus um, on some of those softer skills, exactly. perhaps. Yeah. So I think it reflects potentially the, the shifting of the center of gravity of where the, the Chinese uh, policymakers are focusing on. Uh, but it was a very stark reminder for us that uh, you know on a global scale, um, relationships, uh, sort of bilateral, you know, partnerships, things can change quite quickly mm. for the better and for the worse mm. as well. And, and for a country like Singapore, uh, I think coming back to what Prime Minister Lee was saying, there is very much this need to be be independent, to be ready to find your own solutions. Right. And how else will that be a success if they don't have the the trust and the the, the drive of the collective people, Singaporeans, yeah. to work towards that? So I think, you know, in, in that sense, when you look at issues like China-Singapore relations, uh, China-US relations, any of the other sort of challenges that we're facing, mm. increasingly, especially for small countries like Singapore, uh, I think be, being ready and being able to, to manage challenges independently becomes 
increasingly important. Well, and to manage different relationships, uh, you know, the U.S., the Chinese relationship uh, with all the other neighbors uh, around ASEAN. Uh, with Nicholas Fang here in the studio, managing director at Black Dot, and the uh, director for security and global affairs at the Singapore Institute of International Affairs. And let's talk about that other relationship with the U.S. And uh, this week we saw the impeachment inquiry start. Uh, against President Trump. And look, we can't solve or really probably talk about too much about what that is actually eventually going to, uh, how that's going to play out. But what we can talk about is the impact that a distracted United States has on the rest of the world uh, and and Asia in, included. Now, of course, there are many dedicated diplomats in the Foreign Service that are working hard to make sure that things do keep ticking along uh, right here at the U.S. Embassy, of course, included. Uh, but the fact is, is that the president is now distracted and going to be with this impeachment inquiry, um, probably to a very large extent. How does that then play into his ability to negotiate with China on trade, his ability to look at some of these other issues uh, of immigration and things at home, never mind all the other uh, types of issues here with the South China Sea, et cetera? Well, I think uh, to just to kick it off, uh, we are very happy that uh, Prime Minister Lee managed to meet President Trump yeah. earlier in the week mm. before this impeachment stuff sort of yeah. took center stage. Yep. Uh, Singapore, of course, signed the, the extension of a defense agreement with the U.S. for another 15 years. That will see U.S. Uh, military forces, uh, man, uh, you know, engaging in this region through Singapore. Yeah. So I think that was very positive. But I think your concerns are exactly the right ones. Uh, a distracted U.S. president is potentially going to have less bandwidth, less capabilities to focus on finding solutions. Uh, as we've seen with uh, President Trump in the past, uh, on occasion when there is a need to uh, quickly deliver uh, a result, whether it's on foreign policy mm -hmm. or domestic policy, there is a certain rush to deliver a deal, you know, if, to use his, his terminology. Sure. So uh, I think we're watching with, a, with some interest to see whether this pressure from the impeachment, the fact that we're getting ever closer to the 2020 elections, um, the fact that Mike Pompeo just said recently that they haven't been able to get any progress with the North Koreans uh, on the denuclearization issue. Uh, will all these things create e increasing pressure whether you know in a, in a practical political sphere or, or in President Trump's mind that he has to have a quick win, will that then lead to a, a, a rush deal with China, which not, may not necessarily be the best for the U.S. Uh, I'm sure the rest of the world will, will heave a sigh of relief if the tensions come down. But hmm. you know we, we have to look realistically whether that, whether that is the best deal. Would the president be then be be pressured into looking at a conflict in Iran, for example, you know which seems to be brewing as well. <laughs> uh, so we have so many competing forces yeah. that are exerting their influence. We, we were talking earlier about uh, you have a distraction which seems to be a distraction to another distraction mm. to yet another distraction. Mm. So at core, what is President Trump's key focus? Is it the elections? Is it delivering a foreign policy uh, triumph? Is it you know broadening U.S. influence, or is it just focusing internally? Um, what the rest of the world, including us in Asia and Southeast Asia, would like is consistency and clarity. Yeah. I think that's the easiest way for other countries to be able to figure out what they're going to do. If you're constantly dealing with somebody who's unpredictable, who's inconsistent, who says one thing but does something else the next minute, that makes it very hard for partners and other stakeholders to figure out what they should be doing and what they should be watching. 
and that creates a lot of challenge. And I think global e- economy-wise, that's probably one of the, the, the biggest sort of headaches yeah. that we have right now. Well, and and uh, you know, objectively speaking, we have seen that that has been a challenge with this White House is having that sort of consistent message uh, coming out on a regular basis on a variety of issues. Now, some issues it's been quite consistent, but but many others that are on the global scene, it's been uh, it's it has not been consistent. But yeah, on a positive note, obviously yeah. that creates a lot of interesting news for us to keep an eye on. <laughs> we won't be out of a job quite yet, which is good. Uh, now, one other you know big story that's coming up this week is the 70th anniversary of the founding of the of the PRC. That's going to happen on uh, the first on Tuesday, and that's. That could have implications for what's happening in Hong Kong. Protests are already planned for that. But the broader story there, as, as is covered in the Straits Times, is honestly the, the economic miracle that has happened with so hundreds of millions of people being pulled out of poverty uh, in the last 70 years in China. And, um, but you know this anniversary will bring up uh, potential pitfalls for other people that, that, that want to look at it as a negative. So how do we... You know, how do we look at this in the context of what's happening in Southeast Asia? Well, uh, having just come back from China last mm. weekend uh, and being in Chongqing and seeing the development that's happening in cities like that, it, it is uh, not an understatement to say that China's growth and development is, is truly amazing. Mm. Um, but I think that uh, one of the, as we look towards the, the big 7-0, the, the 70th <laughs> anniversary, uh, one of the things that we are very interested to see is as China balances its growth journey and uh, grows into its position as the biggest economy in the world and truly one of the, the two major powers, I stopped short of saying superpower, but definitely a major power, is how it's going to c- carry out this role as a major power. Yeah. You know, I've, I've always used an analogy. Are you going to be a big brother in the sense of you know being sort of benevolent or are you going to be a big bully? Mm. Uh, and I think that we've seen two faces, uh, the, those two sides of China emerging in, in recent years uh, in different spheres. You know, obviously the South China Sea is one concern. Belt and Road Initiative is, an, is another issue. And as we spoke a little bit earlier, this, this new sort of, of uh, relationship, at least the bilateral one with Singapore, yeah. um, is interesting to see. Um, but I think one of the concerns that uh, we just heard uh, you know, President Abe say this week, that China is a bigger security threat to Japan than a nuclear-armed North Korea. Hmm. Now, that's saying something. That's interesting. You know, and, yeah. and North Korea is lobbing rockets in the direction <laughs> of, of Japan. Yeah. So, from the point of view of, uh, of a, a major Asian economy like Japan, obviously, a rising China something to keep an eye out for. Uh, I think for most of us in Southeast Asia, the, the general recognition is that there's no game uh, that's going to work in the years ahead that does not include China. Uh, and mm. I think for for us, whether it's in the ASEAN grouping or whether on a bilateral basis, figuring out this China relationship is going to be crucial and critical. Uh, I think that uh, the Hong Kong situation is a bit of a distraction for China. I think it remains a sore point for, for China, even just looking historically at how the, the, the colonization of Hong Kong came about. Right. Uh, it is something that reminds China of a time that uh, was not pleasant at all for mm. it as a country. Mm. Uh, and as it grows into this stature, as, as, as I mentioned, the, the biggest economy in the world and, and the second major power, mm. um, how is it going to address some of that historical legacy or baggage? Uh, how is it going to reframe that kind of narrative going forward? I mean, to, to say that, you know, I've arrived on the global stage, but hey, here's Hong Kong, here's a reminder 
leader of a, of a pretty right. long time, and and the protests constantly, you know, sort of niggling at the at uh, at Beijing. Um, it, it's it's hard for me to imagine that they're not going to do anything about it. Mm. Now, what that measures could take place could take the form of, we're not very sure. Yeah. Uh, Hong Kong's already decreasing in importance in terms of, uh, of being a proportion of the China economy. Mm. They're developing Shenzhen and the the, the Greater the, Bay the Area. Bay area. Mm-hmm. So you know their reliance on on Hong Kong is going to decrease. So are they going to just let it fade away? Are they going to come in and take a proactive action? Uh, I think we have to see. One interesting thing from what Beijing has done so far is to have been very circumspect. Mm. There have been a little bit of sort of posturing and maneuvering, but mm. by and large, they're saying, we're just going to let this play out and, and we'll see how that goes. So yeah. Tuesday is going to be interesting. Wow. Uh, Nicholas Fang, uh, Managing Director, Black Dot, Director of Security Global Affairs at the Singapore Institute of International Affairs. We're going to leave it there today for our international news review. Thanks for coming in. Great to chat with you, Glenn. Thank you. Hope to see you again soon. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.